Should I count you down? Yeah, that'd be great. I'm going to hit play. What episode is this? I already did. Lucky number 13, baby. Yeah, You're trying to get all those bloopers. Yeah. Ready? And five, four, three, two, one. I was the venue or the vessel of change. You have older people that have been in a corporation for a long time. They would tell me, we've been doing this since 1960 this way, we've been doing it in the 70s this way, we've been doing it in the 80s this way. You know nothing. Nothing's going to change here, kid. Change is inevitable. Growth is optional. If you don't, if you don't, you're going to die. Yeah, so growth is optional. So do we grow through these changes or do we just soak in them? And I was only not trying to change process and procedures, but culture. And that was the biggest roadblock. I needed to walk to the plant and take down all the posters. You know what posters I'm I talking do. about. I do. We have excellence. And our culture shifted to excellence and world class. And that was important for me because if we were going to follow through where our customers were leading us and we were going to grow in that matter, we needed to change the culture that we were living in. And it starts from within. It starts from each individual person living that culture of excellence. If the sound of a machine tool removing metal gets your blood pumping, then you are Metal Working Nation. This is Making Chips, where we talk all things metalworking, engineering and design, production and tooling combined with business best practices, technology, marketing, news, and new media for manufacturing professionals. Here are your hosts. Business owners, metalworking experts, and guys who get dirty on the factory floor, Jim Carr and Jason Zanger. Now, let's make some chips. Hello, Metalworking Nation. My name is Jason Zanger, and this is Making Chips. We're here with episode number 13, From the Shop Floor to the Corner Office. And we're in the studio here with Fernando Ortiz with Robert Swiss and my friend Jim Carr. Hey, Jason. How you doing? How you doing, Fernando? Hey, hey, hey. Been a long day. It has. So, a nice, Jim. A nice cold day, and uh, thank it, you, Fernando, for being here today. I, I know that it was quite an effort for you to, to, to get here tonight, and we certainly appreciate your spot here today, and uh, welcome. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, it's, it, it's a, um, a balmy negative 10 here in Chicago. It certainly is. I'll validate that one. So, Jim, do you have any metalworking news today? I do, as a matter of fact. You know, it's crazy. You know, I always share this with our listeners, how I always uh, go to uh, Google News and um, search all those exciting manufacturing news uh, blips. But I came across one the other day, and it's out of the Portland Press-Herald. And it says that U.S. stocks started the year mixed because manufacturing growth stalled in December. And I, I got to tell you, I, t- to me, in my business, I, I can't think of anything less than the truth with that. I mean, well, that just goes we, to prove my point from the last episode when we talked about manufacturing news that manufacturing does make a huge difference in our economy. It certainly does. But I mean, uh, we, we blew it out of the park in December. And I, it just it's so specific and variable based on uh, what kind of industries that you service, where it's at. I, I mean, I mean, I, I'm sure that they showed that the the purchasing managers index showed that there was slow growth in December, and that 
and that little bit of tick down actually affected the stock market. That the stock market did had a had a little bit of a hiccup towards the end of the year. But look, oh my God, look at already. It's it, it's right back in the swing of things. Yeah, yeah. manufacturing matters. Hashtag is, is it global or local? They're saying it's local. This is national news. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, I don't know how you, your business was, Jason, um, in December, but uh, mine was good. And I would um, agree. I'm I'm hoping that 2015 is going to be a kick-ass year. I, I'm I'm really looking forward to it, and um, uh, I got a lot of opportunities, and I'm excited about the future. So yeah, that should be the new making chips hashtag. Manufacturing matters. Absolutely, we can do that. So who do we have here today? So this is episode lucky number 13, and we have Fernando Ortiz in the studio from Robert Swiss. Who um, is that guy? I have no idea. Yeah, he he's, just appeared he's the at the door. He's fat guy in the corner. <laughs> We're having too much fun here. We are. <laughs> so anyway, I'd like to, I would, uh, w- with that said, I would like to introduce a very, very good friend of mine who I've known for quite a few years to our studio at Making Chips and talk just a little about him and his accolades and what he's doing. So Fernando Ortiz is the vice president and general manager of Robert Swiss, which is in suburban Chicago, Illinois. He is currently in his 23rd year of employment here at Robert Swiss. He is a board member and the incoming chairman of the board at the Technology and Manufacturing Association, which is a 1,000-member company manufacturing trade association in the Midwest. He is also a board member and Illinois chapter chairman of the PMPA, which is the Precision Machine Parts Association. He is also an advocate for educating youth in uh, manufacturing there at Robert Swiss. And he is currently overseeing operations at two facilities in suburban Chicago with a total of 55,000 square feet. You may ask, what does Robert Swiss do? You don't look Swiss. No, absolutely not. Yeah. (laughs) I know what Robert Swiss does because they have the best tagline out of any company that I've ever met. And it's all Swiss all the time. Simple, stupid, tells what it does. And that is exactly what it does. They do, that's what they do, 100% Swiss machining. And, and what that means specifically, and I, I don't know that business all that well, but I do know it well enough to uh, talk about it, but it's turning in all types of materials from uh, steel, stainless, alloys, ferrous materials, phenolics, Teflon, blah, 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 from 8,000 diameter to 38 millimeters, which translates to almost 1.5 inches in diameter. Um, it's typically um, a round work that he does. He's currently operating with just under 60 employees and temps. He does work for a lot of different diversified industries, medical, hydraulics, dental, electronics, aerospace, and the sporting markets. Maybe he can tell us a little bit about that when I let him talk. But anyway, it's an absolute pleasure to have Fernando with us tonight in our facility. I, I welcome you. Well, uh, I'm glad to be here. Uh, it seems like Jim's got it all under control. He knows everything, so I'm ready to get out of here now. Because, uh, <laughs> now that said it now all. that we now that I've said it all and uh, <laughs> g- given you all the accolades, so Fernando, can you briefly tell us a little bit about what Robert Swiss does? Absolutely. Give a little give a little bit of a definition. Oh yes, absolutely. Uh, Robert Swiss is a small family-owned manufacturing business that started in 1953 with two WW2 vets who started their own product line. Uh, back in 1953, Robert Swiss was making phonograph needles. We had our own product line, Velvetone phonograph needles. What got us into the Swiss was the the shafts for the needles. We needed to produce those shafts instead of purchasing them. 
We bought a machine to make the shafts for the needles, and that led us into the Swiss. Obviously, uh, later on, very short time lived, the uh, phonograph needle was sold, business was sold, and we continued on on the Swiss and started machining components for uh, different uh, manufacturers in the area of Swiss-type machining. When you talk about Swiss-type machining, the first thing you got to think about is not cheese. You got to think about the Swiss watch. That's is, where is that where is that where that's the where word, it originated? That's where it originated. So the precision of the Swiss watch, the precision, the accuracy of the Swiss watch is what became a Swiss manufacturing. That is our premise. That's is that is what we do. You know, when you think of a Rolex, you think one of those watches, super high end, very precise timepieces, exact time. That's what Swiss does. So high production. Very precise, very accurate. When, okay, so parts. I gotta oh, we gotta stop there. Let's define high production. Uh, my production runs runs high. I can run orders that are over a million components, or I run components that orders that are fifty components. We're very diversified in, in that particular part of it. What would you say the average piece part lot is that you do? I, I would say we we average around twenty thousand pieces per per order release. Wow. Depends on the complexity of the component. The higher the complexity of the component, the lower the volume. The less the complexity of the component, the higher the volume. Um, so, you know, it ranges. And we, like our tagline says, we're all Swiss all the time. What that means is that we produce Swiss components from the simplest component to the most complex, from the lowest volume to the highest volume. It's all true Swiss machining. So we're not a company that just bought a couple Swiss machines and says we have a Swiss department. We live and breathe Swiss machining, and that's what we do. So therefore, we're all Swiss all the time. Let's just define you don't do any CNC machining. You don't do any turning, 4-inch diameter, 12-inch diameter. It's literally within that... Our scope... With that window of 8,000th diameter to 35-millimeter diameter. That's it. Nothing else. Right. All all Swiss machining. So whether it's CNC-controlled, cam-operated, whether it's short or long, whether it's big and small, it's all Swiss machining. Okay. So that is our core competency. That's what we know. We live and breathe Swiss machining. That's going to segue into what this topic is, episode 13, from the shop floor to the corner office. It's incredible that your journey that you took, and I can't wait for you to, to tell us and our listeners all about it. It's, it's quite a story, and um, I, I, let's get started. So w- what in the world made you decide to work for Roberts? I mean, what was that overwhelming thing that that made you go and get a job well i I think uh, i gotta attribute that to my dad he was a swiss machinist he was working at roberts i was going to school i wanted to be a cpa so my dad came out and said hey son you want a new car and i said absolutely let's go take a look at him he takes me to the showroom he says here isn't that a beautiful car wouldn't you love to drive that car and i said absolutely let's get it he said we got one thing to do here first we got to get you a job and may I ask how old you were at that time? I was uh, 18. Okay, I get it. I get that. So go ahead. So I continued continue. on. and uh, So he dangled the carrot in front of your face. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, he was a car guy. I'm a car guy. And he just loved going to showrooms and taking a look at the cars. He was a machinist. He said, hey, it's an opportunity for you to work while you're learning, while you're doing some schooling. It's going to give you some work ethic and teach you what real life is all about. So he, he asked for an opportunity, and, and uh, Roberts had an opening, and I went in there, and I applied for the opening, and they gave me the opportunity. What was that role? What was, what was that? Was a CNC machinist operator? or Absolutely not. Oh, I, I started on the ground floor. I was the driver. 
the driver of the uh, uh, the, the driver of the, of the van, van that moved those parts <laughs> back and forth all over the the city and all over the suburbs. So okay. you started above the guy sweeping the floor. Oh <laughs> no, I think the driver was the guy sweeping the floor while he wasn't driving. <laughs> so. <laughs> So you're 18 years old. Your dad's there working as a CNC machinist at Robert Switz. He brings you to the new car showroom, and he he dangles this beautiful brand new sports car in front of your face and says, "Hey, son, doesn't that thing look sweet? How are you going to be able to get that in your possession? What, what what's the what's the driver that's going to make sure you get that?" And he said, "Come to work at Robert Switz. Work really hard, and you're going to get it." Yeah, absolutely. He said, hey, you got to start somewhere. So obviously you had no prior manufacturing experience when you first came on at Robert Swiss. And now I was a kid, came out of, came out of high school and uh, started going to Gallic college classes to get enough credits to sit in for the CPA exam. Those, that was my goal. Okay, so you came in as an 18-year-old green guy driving their van. Uh, how long were you in that role? How many years were, were you driving around their parts i drove and i spent time in a plant it was about five months okay so five months you you were working in their shipping area and then after the five months what 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 did you start to see what did you start to feel was there somebody mentoring you to say i, I was your dad relevant in in the fact to move up the ladder no my, my dad was relevant in the fact that i got in the door and he okay. gave me the opportunity and then the the, the vp and gm hired me and gave me the opportunity. I think what worked in my benefit was that the shipping manager at the time got ill and the parts still needed to get out the door and the orders needed to get processed and all that documentation needed to happen. And I was asked to step in and I did. I worked hard. I said, okay, what does it take to get this done? You know, like I was talking about earlier, my OCD kind of kicked in. I I went in there and I said, I Are you OCD? I'm OCD and everything needs to be organized. Has that been validated? Aligned. Yes, it's been validated. Okay. You can ask the people in my office when I walk by their desk and reorganize their desks. Everything needs to be uh, in a specific order. So I kicked in and I said, you know what? Let me get this organized so that I can work on it and let's get the product out the door and move forward. And I, and I think that when that process happened and, and the order started getting out the door and I, start, I still was able to move the product back and forth while keeping that afloat, packaging materials and getting things going. The, the office personnel noticed uh, what I was doing and said, you know what, we need help up here. So they were kind of pushing to say, hey, well, maybe you should bring this young guy up up in the front office and uh, help us get organized up front uh, with some of the quotes, which is what where I first started in, in the front office there. So. so from out in the shop, delivering parts and working in the shipping and receiving area, you segued into administrative role right away as far as quoting? I segued into getting the the quoting system in place, getting the quotes up to date. And that's where I learned. Like their, you work with their ERP system? I or? work with their estimating system. I work with all their drawings and I work with the people in the plant to develop the costing on the drawing. So that's that's what kind of gave me the knowledge that I have for machining and, and, and all of that. So so now now you're in an administrative role. You're in the, in the office, you're helping the administrative people. It's a, it's a different kind of vibe now, right? Absolutely. What did you immediately notice at that time that was different about the culture of the office from the culture out in the shop? Oh, and 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 how are you going to leverage that? Because I, I I automatically I'm getting the the sense that you're you're feeling your way. You you you've got your roadmaps kind of getting pl plotted out right now, 
and and you're saying, hmm, what do I got to do next to impress and and show them that you're willing to work hard to move up the ladder? Well, you know, he wanted to buy that fancy new car. I think that's what he's thinking. <laughs> oh, I think he already bought it, right? I mean, what? In six months, he's already in the office. Yeah, and it, uh, it. No, seriously, did you buy that car? When did you I buy, did that buy car? the car? Okay, see, well, you're right. <laughs> I told you. <laughs> and it was a motivator because then I had debt. And I wanted to get out of debt, and I wanted to pay. You know, it was just an opportunity. Uh, I, I, I had an opportunity. I felt that I could do the work. It, it came second nature to me. Again, I was in line to want to be a CPA, so the numbers was my game. So uh, putting numbers together, figuring out the cost of things, and starting to learn about how cycle times work with the machining aspect of it, that intrigued me. And it was uh, what I think intrigued me the most was that every day there was something different. The plant had an, its operations, the office had its operations, but at the end of the day, we were all there to serve a customer, and that was the end goal, get a good quality part out to the customer. And how do we achieve that? So the whole package has to come together in order for that to happen. Um, so I, you know, I, I got to learn. Okay, so how, how long were you in the office, and when did the manufacturing aspect of Fernando Ortiz come to fruition? Because obviously you were out in the shop, Right, running, yeah, so running equipment. When so, I was out in the shop for those five months, I also worked on machines. Oh, and you were doing yes. the shipping and receiving? Uh, yeah, they, wherever I was needed, I was placed. I also worked on machines. I ran some smaller, lower capacity machines, uh, and they gave me an idea of how the machines operated. And I, and I kind of got, got the idea of, of where it goes. That was a learning mechanism to say, okay, I understand what we're doing, but I don't understand why. When I got in the office and I started doing the cost estimates and I started looking at these blueprints, I started understanding the why behind what we were doing. Uh, why does the customer require these tolerances? Why uh, these dimensions? Why does this work this way? And that, that started my education in manufacturing, where I would go out to the plant and then I would sit with the foreman and I would sit with the setup people and say, why? Why does this tool have to be made this way? Why does this operate this way? Why does it take this long to, to cut the metal? Why are you putting that angle on that tool? Those are the questions that were starting to get answered. And I was a young man. You know, I wanted to learn. I was a sponge. I soaked up every piece of information that was available to me. Did, did you have any formal manufacturing education? Any formal education? I mean, obviously, Roberts mentored you and gave you a journeyman apprenticeship, if you will. Did you have any formal external manufacturing education? No formal external manufacturing education with the equipment. Okay, with the equipment, okay. But I did, I did learn about processes. I did learn about how And where did you learn about those at? Uh, at TMA. Okay. At, at TMA and at some of my clients, some of our clients. I took advantage of all the uh, courses that some of our clients, as a matter of fact, one of our biggest clients was a big medical device company, and they offered all these courses, and they opened it up to the supply base. And I took advantage of that, and I would fly out there and, and go sit in on these classes that uh, one of the instructors thought I was an associate. They thought I was an employee of the device company, and I said, no, I'm a supplier. He goes, but I've seen you so many times. I go, I'm taking advantage of everything you guys have to offer here because I want to learn what it is that you're doing and what's behind it. So that, that kind of helped out. Okay, so obviously you you had uh, relevant people within the company that was there that was mentoring you. How relevant, how important was that 
in your success over over the last 23 years well, it was critical. i mean did, was it critical it was critical yeah it was critical i i you know i gotta attribute a lot of this to, to a little grace you know you find grace in people they find grace in you they give you opportunity and you take advantage of that opportunity. You work hard. You show them that you're willing to work hard. And that opens up doors. So I, I, whenever I bring a young person uh, on board and I say, we're going to start to teach you, but take advantage of the opportunities and take advantage of the lessons that they're teaching you. And you may not think this is something important to you today, but years down the line, these things are going to be important to you. And it's important that you really soak up that information and gather that knowledge because later on in, in, in your career here, you will be able to use that information. It was absolutely critical. You know, I, I learned from the form. I learned from the people that didn't like me. I'm sure. And I learned from, and, and you know what, I, I give them a lot of credit. They, they're the ones that caused me to, to have a greater ambition and to want me to prove them that I was able to do things. You know, without that, I, I probably wouldn't have had the push that, that I needed to move forward. And the challenges, those challenges are going to come. And you need to take those uh, as opportunities for growth. So let's fast forward a little bit. So so you're in the office now. You're working on estimating. I mean, I, I know there's just so much more depth and, and width to, to your successes there at Robert Swiss. What I'm understanding on the timeline that you're sharing with our, our listeners is you, you're into the company now a few years. You're working in the office. You're helping with estimating. And, and that was what was the next big jump that you made from that level? As, as any small business, you wear multiple hats. You know, and anybody you talk to that runs a small business, you're wearing multiple hats, whether you're the owner or you're one of the key employees. And so I was wearing multiple hats. So I was working on the estimating. I started catching up with that. So I started working on the expediting jobs with through the vendors and, and getting those orders in that we needed to get done, started talking to the customers and expediting the job for the customers and giving them the accurate information that they needed, uh, started purchasing uh, different things, and then it happened. Then, oh, there's your then, aha moment. That it, you, it's, okay, it's you had your aha. aha. So when was the aha moment the, for Fernando? The, the, the aha moment was uh, one, of our, one of our customers got bought out by a ginormous medical device manufacturer, and they said, we're changing things around. We're standardizing things. You're implementing ISO. You need to get going on that. So uh, they were the drivers to getting your ISO accreditation. Yeah, they were the drivers to getting our ISO accreditation. We accredited them with bringing us into the 21st century. We were a smaller operation, and we needed to start to think bigger and see the bigger picture of what was going on. We did a lot of training with them. We established all the procedures and all that. That drove me into uh, a career shift from estimating cost, estimating and some of the purchasing and order processing things that I was doing within the office into a quality and a into compliance. You, based on what I'm hearing and, and kind of figuring out in my own head, you were in a generalized administrative role. But when one of your major customers got bought out and said, hey, we need you to really amp it up. You need to go for ISO or else goodbye. We're out of here. And if you can't handle it, Sorry, that that's all. Right. What what year was that about? Do you remember what year uh, it was? That started. Uh, the the purchase was in '92. The direction was in '94 when ISO '94 version was implemented. And uh, what I was became, the state of our economy at that time? Do you you know business was doing well. Okay. Business was doing well. Things were moving up and up. You know there was just opportunities. Uh, a lot of opportunities in the mid '90s to get things going. You know we took advantage of some of those. By '95, I I became a quality manager. 
and uh, started implementing and, and doing all the compliance side of our quality, implementing the procedures, uh, going to the customers, going to uh, TMA, and training on statistical process controls and training on internal auditing and how to develop a procedures, all that work. And then at the same thing at, at our customer base, going over to the customers, benchmarking what they were doing, how they were doing specific things. So those things were drivers for me. So by 95, I was in quality and compliance, developing the procedures, processes, bringing things that we had started back in the 70s as a corporation, and they kind of like dwelled there and bringing them into what the 90s and what the new millennium was going to bring. So that that was the the big push uh, for us. So my my kind of my career moved into the quality side. My my boss came in, the vice president, general manager of a company, came in and said, "Hey, do you want to tackle this? Do you want to deal with the compliance side? Do you want to?" deal with all the regulations these guys are throwing at did, us. Did they hit you with all those compliance requirements at the same time? Or did they say, by September of this date, we need you to be ISO. By December of that same year, we want you to do PPAP testing. I mean, what what, what was the timeline there, there? There was a timeline there. They didn't give you specific dates. What they did tell you was, this is no longer something that's an extra thing. This is expected that you're going to do this. So either oh, it, it, it went from just a value add to um, something that was mandatory. It's mandatory, okay. and it's just it's just part of doing business with them. And that had to have been in the medical industry. It was in the medical industry, yeah, because Absolutely. that's how it that's how it goes. So we we continue to process the the procedures and create documents and create work instructions, things that we did for many many years, but we never had documented. Internal documentation. Internal documentation. Internal documentation. But that was never required by your customers to provide them. You just did it on your own. Right. We did it on our own. We did it with our own methods. Now we had to standardize everything. So, you know, that that drove me into quality and compliance. Continued that process through the late 90s and 99. I got into operations and became the operations manager. At that point, my function was to run quality and run materials management. So I was kind of dual running both major departments because we were a smaller company. Uh, we weren't, When you say small at that time, how many were you are? Uh, we were 30-some employees. Okay. Uh, just uh, In 94-ish? Yeah. Okay. Getting up to in the 40th to the 40-ish okay. employee base. And still the owner was the same owner, same management. The same owners, the same management. I work for the, for the management. Okay, it, which is still the same ownership. Where it's just, yeah, it's the today. same family, is, and, and he's the owner today. Okay. Vice President, General Manager then is now the owner today, President and CEO. Oh, okay, okay. So it's, it's mid-90s, and, and you're, you're, you've really got your aha moment by taking on these big roles with regards to quality improvement, quality, statistical processes. You went and got ISO certification. What about, you said you were big into medical, and I know they have... There's an ISO um, accreditation for medical, and that is called ISO 13485. Okay, at that time, did they want you to get that, or is at that, that time a recent... that didn't exist? Oh, it did not exist no. at that. It time. It was ISO 9294. So mid 90s, you you really saw the growth. It was probably business was good. The state of the economy was good. We probably had just come out of a recession. We were moving into the recession. You were riding that high. There was money. People were paying money for parts. What were you thinking? What was your next step? What was your other key element? Because obviously you were working within this company now for quite some time. 
obviously you're, you're doing well for yourself. You're starting to, to reap a little bit of the successes of your hard work. Did you have a roadmap at that time that you said, I need to do this or I need to do that? Or what am I going to do next that's going to really leverage and elevate me to the next level? I, I think at that time I was just super busy and concentrating on the work in, that was before me and uh, doing that and doing that correctly that I, I didn't really put a, a roadmap on there. I knew I had opportunity. I knew the company had a vast amount of opportunity. And, uh, you know, when, when operations opened up and, and I was able to move into that in uh, 99, 2000, I think that's what started driving things in, in another direction for me where I said, okay, this is an opportunity where I can continue to grow um, and I still have uh, an opportunity to move forward uh, within the same corporation. Obviously, at, 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 that, at that time, we came in, we had the Y2K bubble that burst and we had a little bit of a dip. We had to, uh, to things a, were really good before Y two K though. <laughs> I mean, we were rocking before Y two K. Yeah. So we had the Y two K bubble that burst, and then uh, two thousand one came, and September eleventh came, and there was a little bit of a of a downturn in business, and we needed to continue to grow, and we started pushing that particular growth. So you know, it just continued to process the flow and get things, keep things moving, keep the groove going, and. Um, and, and, do, and do the right thing. I, I think a lot of people just uh, back off on that. But continue to work hard, regardless of where you're, where you're at and uh, where, you're, where you think you're headed or what you think you're worth. You need to be loyal. You need to do the right thing. You need to move forward. And I, I try to teach that to the young people that I bring up. I don't, not everything is about money. That will eventually come if you're doing the right thing. And if you're not being rewarded where you're at and you don't get the reward when you're supposed to, eventually you're going to get it. Or guess what? Someone else is going to give it to you. And that's important. And it may not be monetary. And it may not be monetary. Right. Because right. A, a lot of the things that, that we got involved in, just knowing what the components were getting into was very rewarding. Seeing things that, you know, a, a, a guy like me never thought he would see. You know, I thought I was going to be in, in, a, in an office auditing papers all the yeah. time. Boy, that's not at all what happened. No. Not at all. Absolutely So not. I've known you for quite a few years, and I've never really you've never really shared that deep dive that you just did with me and Jason and, and our listeners when they, when they hear, but you had to have had some roadblocks along the way. You know, everyone does in life, 23 years in the same company. There, there must've been something. Is there any one particular time? Was it recessionary times? Was it personal times in your career that you had some roadblocks? Because what we're trying to do here, Fernando is, share our experiences with our manufacturing listeners so they can relate to what we're doing and, and the experiences we have. And by by sharing the good and the bad, hopefully we can mitigate a little bit of it. And so just any yeah. roadblock, was it streamlined? We had plenty of roadblocks on, along the way. And what stands out in your mind? Change. I was the, the venue or the, the vessel of change. And when you have older people that have been in a corporation for a long time, they tell they would tell me, we've been doing this since 1960 this way. We've been doing it in the 70s this way. We've been doing it in the 80s this way. You know nothing. Nothing's going to change here, kid. Get away from me. And you're trying to change where you're coming from and where you're going. So how did you get through those roadblocks? Oh, it, it was very difficult. I, I think it was learning experience. I, I do credit those people for my de personal development because it was a very tough time for me. 
I was Ad- a adversity young... always leans to it leads to positive things, right? Right, and yeah. and, and again, there is always going to be change. Change is inevitable. It's going to growth happen. is if, optional. If you don't, if you don't, you're going to die. Yeah. So growth is optional. So do we grow through these changes or do we just soak in them? And I was only not trying to change process and procedures, but culture. Culture's and that was the huge. biggest roadblock. I needed to walk to the plant and take down all the posters. You know what posters I'm I talking do. about. I do. I, I was do. the guy that had to I was, do that. I was in the shop when I was uh, <laughs> in the 70s and 80s. Yeah, so let me tell you, I know, you about, I know all so, about those posters. So we, need, we needed to eliminate that because we were developing procedure to show that we were world-class supplier to world-class customers. I wasn't targeting mom and pop down the street. I was targeting big-time OEMs as customer base, and that's what we have as our customer base. Now, we're a small company, and I told these guys at our Christmas speech, I, I told them, we're a small company. Companies our size swim in ponds, they swim in rivers. The really good ones swim in a lake, but guess what? Robert Swiss swims in the ocean with people five times, ten times our size, and we swim with the same people there because we have excellence. And our culture shifted to excellence and world-class, and that was important for me because if we were going to follow through where our, where our customers were leading us and we were going to grow in that manner, we needed to change the culture that we were living in. And it starts from within. It starts from each individual person living that culture of excellence and moving forward. So that was my biggest challenge, and that was my biggest development. On um, a personal level. At, on a personal level. Yeah. Absolutely. That's great. Your story is always compelling to hear, and it gets better every time. But um, I think we're getting close to the end of our episode, number 13. One of the last things I want to ask you, Fernando, is if, if there was one thing you could say to a young person out there that is unsure of his future, that doesn't have a lot of resources, who isn't born into privilege, who might be struggling with some social hardships, what could you tell them, just a couple of bullet points, that you could share your successes over the last 23 years and what you felt really catapulted you into um, the position you're at? When I, when I start thinking about that, you know, I always say work hard, always. Work hard, always. Be loyal. Loyal to, loyal to who? Loyal to what you're doing and to who you're working for. That's key. You have to be loyal. Not everything's about money. Set personal goals and objectives. Live by those. And then when you're in a position of leadership, be an exemplar leader. Believe and live what you want people to live. So you must listen. You must learn. You must grow. You must listen some, learn some more. And lead with integrity. And I'll leave you with this. And, and, I, and I listen to this person all the time because he speaks well. He said this to one of his young associates. And this is a multi-billion dollar company. And I quote, Alex Gorski, CEO of Johnson & Johnson. One young guy said, what can you tell me as I'm starting in this company? And I'm a young guy. And how do, how do I move my career forward? And he told him this. And and. and and I take this to heart. And I say, and he said, love what you do. Learn to love what you do and do it well. So I tell everybody out there, love what you do, 
learn to love what you do and do it well. Those are words to live by. I, I agree with you 100% as my friend and as my peer and um, as a fellow manufacturer and um, somebody that has the same ethics and uh, morals as myself. Um, I, couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. But uh, anyway, that wraps up episode 13 from the shop floor to the corner office uh, here with my good friend Fernando Ortiz wrapping up episode 13 of Making Chips. Jason, you want to give it a little shout out to where people can uh, communicate with us and where we're at and how, how, how can they listen? And Yeah, but, but before I go there, I mean, I, I just have to say, you know, this was such an inspirational interview with Fernando about, you know, just his work ethic and his drive and um, what Fernando called his OCD, but I see as just a, um, you know, keen sense of organization and, and seeing that the nature of that Swiss watch. And I just think about that when I, when I think about Fernando and, and, you know, his professionalism and his inquisitive nature and his loyalty. I mean, it's just, it's just an inspirational interview. And I, I appreciate everything that you said, Fernando. Oh, thank you. End of episode. Uh, Thanks. Say it, Jim. Bam. Bam, we're done. This podcast exists to improve the manufacturing industry. We want to hear from you, the owners, managers, leaders, and engineers from the metalworking nation. What ideas do you want to share and what keeps you up at night? We want you to take something away from this podcast that you can use to improve your company, your team, and yourself. So let us know what you want to hear and we'll see you next time on Making Chips. I know nothing. Okay. Uh, I just I I got to be very clear about what we're gonna do because you know me and my my head. I I need structure. No bien. Uh, <laughs> intro. I'm doing that. Welcome, Fernando. No, I'm doing the intro. And you yeah. have it from the shop floor to the corner office. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, by the way, sounds good. That's awesome. That's good. I'm yeah, glad it's, you thought. It's, about what episode is it? it <laughs> I'm glad you thought about episode it. Episode uh, Lucky number thirteen, baby. Yeah, lucky number. Th that is. It, that's my dad's favorite. Number. Like a I, want, I want you to know that it's my dad's favorite number. <laughs> <laughs>